inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. Be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you to everyone, all my listeners, for helping spread the word about practical, everyday horsemanship and how you might reach your horsemanship goals. I appreciate all the ratings and reviews you've left. I particularly loved all the positive comments about my most recent podcasts, one on canter hacks, another on trotting hacks. It's fabulous for me to know what you enjoy listening to, what you benefit from, how it helps you, because that just helps me dish out more of what you want. So please keep the comments, ratings, and reviews coming. We love your suggestions for topics. And of course, we always welcome questions for our Q&A segment, What the Hey Q&A. Since the last time we recorded, I have to say that spring is arriving very slowly here in the Colorado mountains. We're getting a lot of snow. We desperately need the moisture to combat the drought conditions that we're in here in the West. And the snow doesn't stick around long. It melts pretty fast. So we don't complain too much, but it just doesn't quite feel like springtime yet. But it won't be long before the grass is greening up and the snow line is receding and we'll be able to get back up on the mountain trails. For now, we're happy that the outdoor arena is rideable. It's melted off for the most part. You can't, can't ride out there too early in the morning yet. Spring is on the horizon, no doubt about that. And I'm looking forward to getting more riding time in, in particular more riding outside. One of my big goals for this year is to get my young horse up in the mountains more. He's shown himself to be a really superior trail horse, even though he's bred to be a cow horse. Uh, he's just exceptional out on the trails, and I want to really develop that in him as, as I also work to develop his arena skills. So that's my big plan for this summer. I got my second COVID vaccine a few days ago, and I have to say that with it comes a renewed sense of hope and a sense of jubilation, a sense of wanting to celebrate. I can't wait to get back on the road again, traveling to wherever the horses are so that I can do more clinics, more horse expos, reach more people and help more horses. So that seems like a bright horizon to me. I'm looking forward to that. For now, I have a few private clinics scheduled and we are looking at dates and venues for more public clinics probably starting this summer, maybe in the fall. So if you're interested in hosting a clinic, please let us know. Just call my office or email info at juliegoodnight.com. I'll come to your facility and conduct a clinic for one or more people. Could be just you and your friends, or it could be open to the public, whichever suits you the best. For more information on organizing a clinic, you can go to juliegoodnight.com slash private clinic. I've got four programs at the Sea Lazy U Ranch this year in Granby, Colorado. In May, it's the Women's Riding and Wholeness Retreat that I co-teach with Barbara Schulte. 
that clinic is full, but we do have openings in all of the programs I'm doing in the fall at the Sea Lazy U in September. We have the popular ranch riding adventure. I believe that still has openings. Then in October, we're offering two brand new programs. First, we have the Saddle Up Women's Leadership Program that's aimed at business leaders and no prior horse experiences needed. Also in October, we're offering a brand new program called the Horsemanship Immersion. This is a five-day intensive clinic covering all aspects of horsemanship, and it is for people that just can't get enough. So you can find out more about all of these programs at juliegoodnight.com. And while you're there, please check out my online training programs and video subscription services at signin.juliegoodnight.com. Plus, we've got innovative grooming tools, tack, equipment, and educational resources. So go online and check it out at juliegoodnight.com. Today's podcast is Connecting with Your Horse, How to Establish or Reestablish a Bonded and Productive Relationship with Your Horse, one in which the horse accepts your authority, respects your boundaries, and is calm and focused and seeking your acceptance. Believe it or not, this kind of relationship is not difficult to achieve with a horse because it's their instinctive nature to seek out acceptance. They've got a strong desire to belong. And so our goal is to shift those instinctive feelings of the horse towards the horse-human bond. I'll talk about when you might need to work on reconnecting with a horse. Plus, we'll take a look at what the objectives are, and I'll give you some specific action steps that you can take right now to improve your relationship with your horse. Plus, I've got some brand new questions to answer straight from our listeners in my What the Hey Q&A segment at the end of this podcast. Let's talk about cultivating a connection with your horse. The first question you might ask is, why do I need this? And I think there's a lot of different situations in which people need to reconnect with a horse or just establish a connection to begin with. You know, horses are herd animals. They're animals that form bonded relationships with other horses. By the way, all of that is transferable to the horse-human relationship. Maybe not all of it, but much of it. And it is this instinctive nature of the horse to want to form a bonded relationship that we want to capitalize on as humans. It's, to me, the most satisfying kind of relationship to the horse, one in which that horse really looks up to you, wants to be with you, trusts you, and will really do anything you ask him to do. When you might need this is, let's say, here in Colorado, it's a common thing that people tend to put their horses away for the winter. Sometimes they're turned out the winter pasture. And they might be with a large number of other horses for the winter with very little to no handling. These horses naturally become sort of like moving towards a feral state where they're so, so focused on the on the herd 
and they're with the herd 24-7 for weeks and months on end. So needless to say, when it's springtime and you're ready to get that horse out of the pasture and start trail riding him or do whatever it is that you do, he's bonded on that herd. He's forgotten all about you. He hasn't really forgotten. However, his instinctive draw to the herd has been really magnified over the winter. So what needs to happen is we need to get that horse out and reconnect with him, remind him of this is what we do. This is who I am. This is what we do. And you're going to like this too. This is going to be really great. Another reason you might have to be reconnecting with a horse is maybe your horse had a long layoff due to an injury or illness. And maybe the horse was injured or sick. Maybe you were injured or sick. Maybe it was just a situation where life happened and you've had a long disconnect from your horse. Other people have been handling him maybe minimally, you know, just to do his health maintenance and turn him out and and the like. And so you're sort of starting over a new chapter and you want to start that chapter outright and and reestablish the normal routine that you used to have before the long layoff. Maybe you've adopted or purchased or leased a new horse and you're establishing a connection with this horse for the very first time. This is a pretty critical time in your relationship with the horse. I call it the golden moments, that first impression, which is so, so very valuable, which you only have one one chance to make. And you need to connect with your new horse in such a way that he accepts your leadership, he has confidence in you and trust in you, focus on you, and is eager to please, willing to, you know, do what you ask him to do, willing to, most importantly, go with you somewhere, just willing to walk away from his herd, which is everything he wants in life, to go with you. So we need to connect with that horse in a way that makes him want to do that. Maybe you need to reconnect with your horse because you've simply moved the horse to a new location and he is out of sorts. People are often dumbfounded by this, but if a horse is really well entrenched in one location, maybe he's spent his entire life there and then we uproot him from everything that he knows and move him to a new location. Horses can often really fall apart in those situations, at least for a week or two, because everything they knew and understood is missing. The people, the other horses, the routine, the facility, and that can really blow the minds of a lot of horses if they're not well-seasoned and, and experienced horses. So that's a good time when I would think about these things that I want to talk to you about in terms of connecting a horse. Maybe you're taking lessons on a school horse or riding a trail horse at a guest ranch. Maybe you're on riding vacation and and temporarily riding a horse and you want to establish a productive relationship with that horse right away. Now, keep in mind in these instances, the school horse, trail horse, uh, horse you're riding on vacation, you may not have a lot of options on what you do on the side with that horse. But still, you can come to it with a certain mindset. You can comport yourself in certain ways that will help you connect with that horse, even on a temporary basis. Maybe you've developed an unproductive relationship with your horse. 
And you simply need to step up your leadership and reboot your relationship with the horse. If things aren't going perfectly with your horse, you may want to think about reestablishing a new normal. What do I mean by reconnecting with your horse? How do we do that? I'm sure that's what you must be asking. So much of horsemanship is elusive. We talk about these qualities of the horse and his willingness, his eagerness to please, his strong sense of belonging, his strong sense of seeking acceptance. These are all quite elusive, but they're there and they're very meaningful for a horse. So when I think of connecting with a horse, whether I'm starting from scratch or reestablishing a new normal with a horse of my own or a horse that someone else has struggled with, the first thing I think about is establishing my leadership with the horse. Look, they're big, strong, dangerous animals, and they're flight animals. That means they can be difficult to control, whether you're on the ground or in the saddle. Control of a horse is a really big thing. I can never forcefully control a horse. I'm just not big enough. No matter you know what tools I employ, if we're going pound for pound on sheer strength, he's always going to beat me. For me to really gain control of this thousand pound flight animal, I have to make him want to do what I want to do. I can't force him to do it. I have to make him want to do it. And whether that comes from a sense of him wanting to please me or him simply understanding that that is my expectation and that's the only answer I'm going to accept. All of those things may vary a little bit depending on the situation I'm in. But first and foremost, I want the horse to have deference for me. I want to have some authority over the horse so that I can physically control him and be safe around him. You know, we talk a lot about the hierarchy in a horse herd. And the fact of the matter is that the horse herd has a linear hierarchy in which each and every individual is either subordinate to or dominant over each and every other individual. The hierarchy is linear. There's one horse at the top we refer to as the alpha individual. And then there are herd members that come on down the pecking order until we get to the bottom of the pecking order, which is the omega horse. All of these levels of status in the herd are significant. In particular, the alpha individual is the leader of the herd. It is the horse that is responsible for protecting the herd, monitoring the environment for external threats, monitoring the herd activities for internal threats. That would be horses picking on other horses, horses causing problems within the herd. They're responsible for budgeting the the time and resources of the herd. When do we go to the water hole? When do we go eat? When do we lie down and sleep? And they're responsible for maintaining discipline in the herd, leading the herd wherever it needs to go. And so that is the alpha individual, the individual on the horse herd that's at the top of the pecking order. The alpha is so highly regarded in the herd because She's the one that is responsible basically for the survival and happiness of the herd. I obviously don't want to be taking orders from my horse. I don't want a thousand pound flight animal telling me what to do or running over the top of me whenever he thinks there's a problem. 
it is my goal to become the alpha individual in the eyes of the the horse that I'm establishing a relationship with. This is not about dominance. This is not about forcefulness, but this is about acting myself in a way that commands that sort of desire and respect from the horse. He wants to be with me because he feels safe with me. He wants to be with me because he trusts me to make good judgments, to be fair, to be clear, and to make my horse happy and make him comfortable and make him feel safe. So this is a great place to be with a horse. I don't know why we would think of that as a negative. You do have to step up to the leadership. So first and foremost, when I think about reconnecting with the horse, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm I'm thinking about establishing my leadership with the horse, conducting myself in a way that makes him feel safe, that makes him feel confident, that makes him trust me, and makes him want to be with me. Second thing that I would focus on, I'm not saying these are in one particular order or another, just for me personally, as I think about connecting with the horse, this is the order in which I think about them. But the next thing I I would think about is establishing boundaries with the horse. You know, in some ways, this might come first. If I am working with a horse that has no boundaries and uh, maybe he is an aggressive dominant horse, maybe he is a horse that has been mishandled in the past and has learned inappropriate behavior around people, that horse establishing boundaries might come absolute first right now in the very first second that we encounter each other because. You, you never say want to say never in horse training because every situation is different. But I can't think of any situation in which if a horse invaded my personal space, I wouldn't immediately react vehemently if I needed to. Because first and foremost, it's my safety that's at stake. And secondly, I need that horse, that big thousand pound flight animal to learn right now that he should never come any closer than this and that he needs to be very careful about my personal space. My personal space is as far as I can reach around me with my arms outstretched, and all I've got to do around a horse to establish that space is just put my arms up. If he approaches me too fast or in a sort of oblivious manner, which, by the way, probably is not oblivious. It's probably a horse acting that way because he wants you to think that you mean nothing to him. And that's probably true in that moment. If he's, you know, walking over the top of you or acting like he doesn't see you or know you're there, that's a common thing that horses do when they don't want to be with you. They just pretend you don't exist. They can easily barge into your space in an effort to try and move you out of their space to prove that you mean nothing to them. These are things that are, of course, not only safe for you, but they are in that moment that horse is, is forming an opinion about you and he's forming the wrong opinion, which is that you have no boundaries and that you will always give to his face. And by the way, in the horse herd, there's only two ways in which horses establish dominance in the herd. Factor number one is that the dominant horse controls the resources of the herd. Anything the herd values like food, water, shade, other horses, those things are resources. and the dominant horse, the alpha individual, always controls the resources of the herd. But the second factor involved in establishing dominance is spatial. 
The dominant horse controls the space of the subordinate horse. And the dominant horse often moves or herds the subordinate horses around to make sure they understand, look, I'm the one in charge here. I'm the one that tells you where to go and when. Let's just all remember that. That's why we do groundwork with horses. It's all about moving them out of our space, establishing those boundaries, and controlling their actions. The thing about controlling the actions of the horse is it tends to basically work one way or the other. Either you are controlling the actions of the horse or he is controlling your actions. I like for people to think about this little thing I call action-reaction. If the horse is making an action to which you are reacting, like barging into your space and bumping into you, and then you are stepping back and moving out of his way, he's making the action to which you are reacting. Who's the one in charge there? The horse, right? He's in charge of that situation. What we want to do is flip the table on that and make sure that I'm the one making the action to which the horse is reacting. As we do groundwork, that's basically what we're doing. We're asking the horse to go over here, asking the horse to go here, go forward, slow down, speed up, move this part of your body, move that part of your body. And in that process, we're teaching the horse that I control your actions because I'm in charge of you. By the way, if you need to work more on establishing boundaries with a horse, or if you just simply don't understand what I mean, go to youtube.com slash Julie Goodnight and check out my daily doses of horsemanship. Some of the first few daily doses of horsemanship are about establishing boundaries with a young, kind of pushy horse that I was working with that really had no sense of boundaries at all. A great horse, a nice horse. He didn't mean anything bad by it. Just did not understand what boundaries are. And you'll see what I mean in that daily dose of horsemanship. When I talk about immediately establishing a boundary with a horse, how quickly they can come to know and understand your boundaries and respond positively to that. Horses like to know They like to be clear on your boundaries, your expectations, and what the rules are. If you want to learn more about the dynamics of herd behavior, you should check out my behavior DVD or streaming um, training video called Speak the Language. It's all about horse behavior, and it gets pretty in-depth into the dynamics of herd behavior and what that means to your relationship with the horse. Another area of concern for me in terms of reconnecting with a horse or connecting for the first time with a horse is to establish with that horse what my expectations of your behavior are. Look, my herd, my rules, and you're going to want to be with me, horse, because I have a great herd. Everything's very orderly, safe, and comfortable here. You're going to love it. But there are certain things that I expect of you. You know, I expect you to stand still when I ask you to. I expect you to move when I ask you to. I expect you to respect my boundaries in space and to have a calm focus and to be relaxed and accepting of what I ask of you. And in return, I will give you certain things. I will give you my acceptance. I will take awesome care of you. You will always feel safe. You will always feel like you belong with me and we will do great things together. 
Establishing expectations with a horse goes a little bit beyond just establishing boundaries because those are certain expectations too. I have an expectation that you will never come closer to me than this. You will never come into my space without being invited. And all of these things are clear expectations that I have to have. I can't be wishy-washy about it. I can't one moment admonish him for coming into my space and the next minute reward him for it because I just gave him a cookie or something like that. So I have to be consistent in my expectations. Otherwise, how could the horse trust me? How could he have confidence in me? My expectations of the horse's behavior speaks primarily to his manners. As I said, standing still, when I ask him to stand still, standing quietly tied, being relaxed, not looking around, not interacting with other horses. There are certain norms of behavior that we expect from horses, and many of the so-called ground manners that we wish to instill in horses have actually to do with your own personal safety. So they're really important as a bottom line issue, but also they have a lot to do with how pleasant it is to be around your horse as well. It has to do with your leadership and how committed the horse becomes to being in your herd and to playing by the rules. Reconnecting with your horse or connecting with a horse for the first time is also bonding time. Horses are relationship-oriented animals. They not only form herds, but even within the herd, they will form specially bonded relationships. The behaviorists call it associates. We call it buddies or friends. So within any herd of horses, a horse will have one or two associates that he is specially bonded to. And as we work to connect with a horse, we definitely want that bonding to occur. We don't want to bribe the horse into a bonded relationship because that never works. So I can't just give him treats and cookies and let him do whatever he wants because that's not really the kind of relationship he's seeking out. Remember, first and foremost, what the horse seeks from the herd is a sense of safety and a sense of, secondly, a sense of comfort. And so these are the two primary things that I want to give to my horse. And in this bonding time, however, even though I've already established myself as the leader in our herd of two, in this bonding time, I want that horse to really grow to like me, for lack of better words. I want him to really have a strong sense of comfort and safety when he's with me. I want him to just sort of become putty in my hands when I praise him. I want him to seek me out. I want him to be happy to see me and come to the front of his pen whenever I get there. So this is what I would call bonding moments. I think the time that you spend grooming your horse is really a good time for bonding. It's one reason I like to use my grooming gloves, the hands-on grooming gloves. So I really like to give that horse a deep tissue body massage as I'm grooming him and I feel him all over stroke him, uh, notice those places where he really likes to be scratched and stroked and spend a little extra time there. So that's bonding time. If you have a horse that is particularly herd bound, it's going to be really important before you can connect with that horse that you do separate him from the herd as much as you can. 
and spend some quality time with him when he's separated. There may be times when you need to just separate him, tie him up, and let him cry it out until he quits throwing a wall-eyed fit. But as soon as possible, I want to get in there and fill that void with the horse. I want him to come to understand that being with me can be just as rewarding as being with his herd. That's sort of two different things that I've got under the subject of bonding. Um, One is to release the bond with the herd or separate him physically enough from the herd where he has to focus on me. He has to listen to me where I'm the only one that could give him what he needs, but to also make the most of that time and make him want to be with me so that he feels safe and happy with being with me. Another thing that I think is really important to achieve in terms of making a connection with the horse is to gain the horse's focus and calm acceptance of whatever I ask. I have to earn my horse's trust before he will ever get that way. When I have shown my horse that I'm a competent leader and that he can trust my judgment, that he can trust my fairness, that I will never ask him to do something that would hurt him, that I will always recognize and praise and reward his efforts when he does what I ask. And once he comes to understand all of those things, then he doesn't really have a reason to question me. Training just becomes a matter of communicating with the horse what it is that you want. Obviously, the better I can communicate with the horse, the quicker it's going to go, the quicker he's going to learn what it is I'm asking him to do. But first and foremost, I have to earn that attitude from him that he's willing and accepting of whatever I do and whatever I ask. He, He has come to know that not only will I never hurt him or ask him to do something that would would cause him to be hurt, but that I will acknowledge and and praise any effort he makes to do what I ask. Next thing you know, you got a horse that he just he can't wait to do what you're asking to do. And he's eager for your praise and working hard to try to figure out what you're asking. I want to talk for a minute about the horse's focus because this is something I know from teaching thousands of people and their horses in horseship clinics all over the world, really that a certain number of people are working with horses and riding horses that have little to no focus on the rider or on the handler, that are focused on everything else in their environment except the person on the end of the reins or on the end of the lead line. As I said earlier, (laughs) horses are really good at this. They don't want to be with you First of all, they are constantly looking for an escape. So they're looking around constantly to try to figure out a way out of this situation. Or they're looking around because they're anxious and frightened and don't know what's going to happen next. So they're searching for something bad to happen to them. So if you have a horse that you're handling from the ground or you're riding him and his focus is everywhere but on you, That horse is not connected to you in any way, shape, or form. He's searching for a way out of his predicament. He's searching for a way to get away from you. Before I can accomplish much with a horse, I need to have the focus of the horse. 
Now, it would be unfair and unreasonable for me to expect my horse to be 100% focused on me at every waking moment that I'm around him. He's not really capable of that. I'm not sure humans are. However, he is capable of either being focused on me or focused on nothing. Those are the two ways that I want my horse to be when I'm around him. I want him to be either entirely focused on me and what I'm asking him to do, or for him to sort of just focus on nothing, to put his head down, take a deep breath, relax his ears, and just be there. Not be looking for a way out, not be searching for something bad to happen. I'll talk to you a little bit more about how you can accomplish that. But if you will, well, you can check out almost any of my online training resources to find information on getting the focus of your horse. But in particular, you can check out on YouTube at Julie Goodnight. Look at my daily doses and you'll find one about teaching the horse to not look around and to focus on you. Also in my training video called Leadline Leadership, it is an entire training video about establishing ground manners in a horse and establishing your leadership and your expectations of the horse. And in particular, it talks about gaining the focus of the horse. That's called Lead Line Leadership. It's available either in DVD or streaming online at juliegoodnight.com. The final objective that I want to talk to you about in terms of connecting or reconnecting with the horse may have to do with just refreshing the horse's training, just reminding the horse of this is the way we do things from the ground up. Remember when I talked about in the beginning when I was talking about why you might need to reconnect with a horse and one scenario I gave was a horse that had been turned out for the winter and had been living in a large herd and was too connected to the herd, not not connected to people. Another example was you've had a long layoff from your horse or maybe even it's a new horse and you're uh, reminding the horse of the same things he already knew how to do, but you're a new person asking him to do it. One of my objectives in terms of reconnecting with the horse may simply be to remind the horse of his training. Let's say it's that horse that has been turned out for the entire winter and has had very little handling. I want to take it slow and easy. I know he's going to be anxious about being separated from the herd. Of course, that's to be accepted. It's not a personal insult to me. I expect it to happen, and I want to be proactive in intervening. Maybe I want to get my horse out, remind him how nice it is to be groomed, do a little bit of groundwork with him, just a little bit to remind him, hey, remember when we did this, and remember when we did that. I want the time to be meaningful. I want it to be pleasurable, but I'm going to kind of start at the beginning and say, Hey, you remember how to do this very basic thing? Yeah, that's right. Good boy. Gives me an opportunity to praise him. Gives me an opportunity to let him know that I will always acknowledge his efforts. It may give me an opportunity to scold him if he is, let's say, looking around excessively or he's fidgety when he shouldn't be or he disregards me and bumps into me or something like that. So this is my opportunity to remind the horse, no, this is not the way we do things. And yes, this is the way we do things. That's my main objective. I want to approach this time 
in a systematic way, I want to start sort of at the beginning with that horse. And that's going to mean something a little bit different to every horse. But you you might have a really well-trained show horse that after three or four months of being with the herd has become herd bound. And that horse is anxious and, you know, tantruming or or frustrated or whatever when you separate him from the herd that horse is going to have to go back to some very basic ground manners even though it's a really well-trained riding horse and generally with a horse like that as soon as we go hey hey no no that's not the way we do things remember this is the way we do things they go oh 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 yeah okay this this feels normal to me this feels right this feels safe that can be a very big objective in terms of connecting with the horse is just reminding the horse, this is the way we do things. And you accomplish that by asking something of the horse and then recognizing his efforts one way or the other. (laughs) And through this process, and I want to start with the easiest, simplest thing, because I'm looking for an opportunity to praise the horse and reward the horse and remind him how great I am. I'm going to start with simple, easy things and then progress to the more complicated as the horse begins to respond. When you are reconnecting with the horse in order to refresh his training, you will find that it might start kind of messy, but it will generally snowball really fast and the horse really quickly comes back into the same groove he was in before your long layoff. So those are the things I might be hoping to accomplish while I'm thinking about reconnecting with a horse or establishing a connection to begin with. So now let's talk about some specific action steps you can take. I'm going to give you some specific exercises that will help you establish the right connection with your horse. And remember, even if you have not had a separation for the horse, it is not a new horse, but you and your horse have kind of gotten off on the wrong foot or you've gone off on a wrong path and and your relationship has deteriorated. These are the same things I would do to help reestablish a more productive connection with the horse and get you on a better path. I already talked a little bit about separating the horse from the herd. You might just simply get the horse out, take him a little ways away. It's going to be difficult to get the horse out of earshot of the herd but you can probably get him out of sight of the herd. Getting him out of earshot and sight would be even better, but a lot of times you're not going to have that option, particularly if you're just starting out with a very fresh horse. So I'm going to separate the horse from the herd in whatever distance I can. I really want to read the reactions of the horse. How anxious is he? How worried is he? How distressed is he? Is this a horse that's just mad because I'm taking him away from his friends? Or is this a horse that's really seriously having an anxiety episode? And in in the case of the latter, sometimes I'm thinking more in terms of how do I support this horse's mental health than refresh his training. In other words, if that horse is, is truly, truly distressed from separation from the herd, I've got a lot of work to do because nothing productive is going to happen between me and the horse until the horse is in a calm and accepting and present state of mind with me. If the horse is overly anxious upon separation, 
I might simply have to revert to teaching the horse or reminding the horse to put his head down, take a deep breath, go back to some very, very basic skills, gradually separate him more and more and for longer periods of time. If that horse is super, super anxious about separating from the herd, I'm probably going to have to keep him pretty busy while I do separate him. So I want to get him to the round pen and keep him moving, uh, keep him changing directions. So he has to start thinking about what I'm asking and focusing on me. I might, in an effort to separate the horse from the herd, if he's a more mature horse, a better trained horse that I know has good skills, I might just get him out, tie him up away from the herd and remind him that sometimes he has to stand quietly tied and wait. He might fuss and fidget for a little bit. and I'll kind of keep an eye on him from a distance. But as soon as I see him settle and calm down and accept his situation, then I'll go back and start messing with him, entertain him a little bit, brush on him, groom him, or take him away from the tie rail and do some work with him. So look for ways to separate that horse from the herd, test his reactions, study his reactions, try to understand his emotions. Is he just mad and put out about the whole thing? Or is he having some serious separation anxiety? How I would approach from then on is going to depend on that. As I said, a lot of times we traditionally employ uh, what we like to call the patient's post, and that is letting the horse stand tied. Like I said just a minute ago, I definitely am going to do this at some point. And if I've got that horse that's just become excessively herd bound, but I know the horse knows better, I know he's had times in his life previously when he was not so herd bound, part of what I'm might do in addition to spending time with him when I have him separated and in addition to actually actively doing groundwork with him is simply tie him up in a comfortable and safe place and let him stand tied. This is how horses learn patience and learn to wait. We like our horses to learn that being tied up is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing because it means you're not having to do something harder like lope circles with a rider on your back. Being tied up sometimes means you get groomed on, you get a pedicure, you get a lot of attention and affection. I want that horse to learn that standing quietly tied is a really important skill for him. It's an expectation I have of him. And it's not all bad. Good things come from standing up tied. So I will spend a lot of time with that in these periods of time where I'm establishing expectations with a, a new horse. Make sure when you do ask the horse to stand tied that it is a comfortable place. He's got shade. Bugs aren't eating him alive. The ground is comfortable for him to stand on. He has some freedom of his head where he can position his head where he's comfortable. My job as a leader is to make sure that my horse is comfortable and I don't ask unreasonable things of him. I have to make sure that when I do intend for my horse to stand tied, that he can be safe, he can be comfortable, and that it's a reasonable expectation. Another exercise I love to do when I'm establishing a connection with a horse is something I often do as my very first interaction with a trained horse is a little exercise I call stand like a statue with a horse equipped with a rope halter and a long training lead. I like a 12 or 15 foot training lead. Ask the horse to stop and I will turn and face him. 
I'll step back four or five feet away from him, way out of his space, so as not to tempt him to come closer to me. And my expectation when I face the horse is that he stands still and doesn't move. If he ignores my requests and moves, picks up a foot to step in one direction or the other, I'll just simply snap the lead rope and say, whoa, I will snap the rope with enough pressure that causes the horse to notice. At that moment, he noticed, he goes, what? What do you want? And I say, whoa. So he learns that, oh, if I move a foot, she does that. And I don't like that. So I'm just going to keep my foot still. I want my horse to learn to stand like a statue when I ask him to. I don't abuse the privilege. I don't ask a horse to stand that has just been cooped up in a stall for a month. (laughs) I don't ask a young, fresh horse to stand that hasn't had a little exercise first. But when I ask you to stand and not move a foot, I mean don't move a foot. It can become a game to your horse. And guess what? It's really easy for the horse to comply, right? He doesn't have to do anything except not move. For some horses, that can be hard. And for any horse, at certain times, it can be hard to stand still. They are flight animals. When I teach that horse to not move compulsively, to think before he acts, to look to me for advice on what he should do, I'm really accomplishing a lot with the horse. The training video, Lead Line Leadership, has a whole section on how to do this exercise with your horse. It's something that you can master very quickly if you have the right skills. I can pretty much teach any horse to stand still in a matter of moments because I I know I'm very clear on what I'm going to do, how I'm going to respond and the signals that I'm going to give to the horse. And so horses are extremely rapidly learning animals when the right conditions exist. If your horse is not learning rapidly, you're doing something wrong. These are fast learning animals as prey animals and flight animals tend to be. If you are trying to teach a new skill to the horse and it's taking like weeks and months, I would question what you're doing because you're not getting the right message to the horse. He's learning the wrong things. He's getting the wrong information. Also in my lead line leadership video, I show you a lot of leading exercises. First and foremost, I want the horse to learn to walk beside me and not behind me. This is not easy for a horse because his instinct tells him to walk directly behind me, but that's not safe for me. He who walks in front of a horse has never been run over by a horse before. So we train the horse to walk beside us, not behind us. So that's a skill I want to teach the horse right away. It's a boundaries issue. I just want to teach him that there's a place you can be right next to me where everything's going to be good as long as you stay right there. So when he's not in that place, I'm going to put a little pressure on him. When he is in the right place, I leave him alone. That's the first thing on the leading manners. The second thing is rating speed. And so I want to do a lot of leading my horse around, walking slowly, walking faster, walking slow, fast, walk, trot, walk, trot, so that The horse learns to just follow me and rate my speed, just like he would another horse in the herd. If you're leading your horse around by pulling on him to go and pulling on him to woe, you're completely obliterating all of this that I just talked about. So the idea is that the horse works at staying with me, that the horse follows me, that the horse watches my body language and watches my actions and moves with me 
because that's what he's supposed to do. The purpose of your training lead is not to pull and push the horse around, but to reinforce or to signal the horse with the lead if you need to, but also to reinforce or correct the horse when he's not in the right place or if he's doing the wrong thing. But what I want my horse to be focusing on as I lead him around is what I'm doing with my body language that tells him whether he should speed up or slow down or turn or stop. All of this is very extensively detailed in my lead line leadership video. One more Lead line exercise I like to do with horses that's highly productive in terms of establishing a connection with the horse is circling work on the lead line. So again, you want a minimally a 12-foot lead. I like to use a 15-foot lead so that the horse has a little bit more room to circle around me. This exercise, by the way, looks a lot like lunging, but it's not. Lunging is done for an entirely different reason. It's a training reason or a conditioning reason. But circling work on the lead line is more about connecting with the horse. It's about establishing control of the horse. It's about establishing a dialogue with the horse. When I want you to go, when I want you to stop, when I want you to turn. It's about controlling the different parts of the horse's body. I want you to move your nose over here. I want you to move your shoulder over here. I want you to move your hip over here. So that horse becomes malleable and pliable and focused on you. The circling work we do on a lead line can very much become like a dance with the horse where he's moving and responding to your slightest movements and gestures. And that is super rewarding in and of itself. But when you do this kind of circling work with the horse and it becomes fluid and subtle and communicative, you've really reached a level of connection with that horse where you're, sorry, it sounds cliche, but you're actually becoming one unit. I love dancing. And so I love partner dancing, dancing with a really good dancer that just guides you around the floor and you're moving together as if you're one unit. And that's really what we're shooting for with a horse. And the circling work that we do on the lead line, changes of direction and all of that, moving the shoulder of the horse, disengaging the hip, it can really become a beautiful dance and uh, you will come to connect with your horse on, on an almost psychic level. It's really rewarding. After I've done some circling work with the horse, I might morph that into driving the horse in straight lines. Circling is not too hard to do with a horse, something that he kind of wants to do naturally. But to drive him from that circle onto a straight line takes a much deeper connection of communication, a much more subtle, refined level of communication. And once I can start driving that horse in straight lines on a lead line, I can then drive him over obstacles and start playing different games with the horse that become just sort of new and challenging and distracting and kind of mix it up a little bit so there's not too much monotony for the horse. Another thing you can think about doing in terms of connecting with the horse and, and just getting him away from the herd and doing something with you is practicing all of these lead line manners that I was just talking about. When you go on a walk or a hike with a horse, take him out away from the farm. Let him look at stuff. Let him see new things and teach him to be investigative and curious about new objects. This way you can work on de-spooking. You can take him out away from the herd. 
Maybe there's a place where there's some specially good green grass and you can take him out there and just have some quality time with your horse. Let him eat the grass. Make sure he understands you're allowing him to do that and he's not demanding to do that. Take him for a little adventure. Let him go do a little groundwork and then eat some nice green grass. Maybe you're going to stick your grooming gloves in your pocket so that when you get out there, you can give him a nice massage with those hands-on grooming gloves while you're letting him eat some green grass. Make it special and make it adventurous. Some horses like to go see, you know, see new terrain, see new territory, see new horses. Other horses don't like it so much. And if your horse is of that frame of mind, it's probably good to get him out and teach him that this is fun. This is okay. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be all right. And you should enjoy this adventure, not be afraid of it. When it comes to connecting with that horse under saddle in terms of riding the horse, first thing I always do, whether I haven't ridden that horse in a week or two weeks or a month or a year, I always remind myself to take it slowly. It's most important when I go back to riding the horse, that we, number one, don't skip over fundamental manners. You should stand still when I mount. You should not walk off until I tell you to walk off. You should not cut corners. You should not look around. Even though it's a really well-trained horse, I might need to remind him of some very fundamental expectations. When it comes to his training skills under saddle, again, I want to start slowly. And here's the most important reason why. I want to be able to praise my horse right away, not correct him, not admonish him. If I have not ridden this horse in a long time, or he has not been ridden in a long time, or maybe he's never been ridden at this place or with his new owner, I want to start with something really, really simple. I know the horse can do so that I can make a big fuss of it and say, oh my gosh, what a brilliant horse you are. That was so good. I love that. Now let's see if you can do a little more. Oh, that was fabulous. Good boy. I'm going to let you rest for a minute. That was so good. Now I'm going to ask you for a little bit more. So when I get that horse back to working under saddle, I want to make sure I take it slowly enough that what I'm offering to begin with is praise. If I jump in there and start asking the horse for something that he's not ready for and he fails, what am I supposed to do? Reward the failure or admonish the horse on the very first moment of our ride? It's really important in all manners of training horses, I believe, to set your horse up for success. I believe that's important in my teaching of humans too. I'm always trying to set the human up for success too. I don't want to have to admonish. I want to issue praise. Take it simple. Take it slowly. Read the horse. Let him give you feedback on when he's ready to move on to the next thing. Look, if he's still whinnying for his buddies and stopping at the gate and doing things like that, that I know he knows better than, then I'm not really ready to ask for something harder than that. I need to really focus on basic obedience and focus. By the way, my ready to ride video is all about preparing the horse for his very first ride in life. So it's about 
starting a horse under saddle for the very first time. And it goes in detail through all of these steps I would go through to prepare a horse to be ridden the very first time. If you have a situation with a new horse where you really don't know what his previous training is, maybe you adopted a horse that they don't have much history on and they think he was trained to ride, but nobody knows for sure. And we talk about taking the horse back to the beginning. This DVD or this video, training video, Ready to Ride, goes through each and every step, which would be a checkoff box of the things I would go through to assess where that horse is in his training. If at any step along the way, let's say so far into it and I'm ready to put my foot in the stirrup and get on for the first time, and I go to put my foot in the stirrup and my toe touches his girth and he blows up on me, I go, okay, this is as far as we're going to go right now because until we can get past this with calm acceptance, I don't want to ride this horse. So this is where we are now. So I would go through all those steps and if I found a place of resistance in the horse, I would work through that before I went to the next step. And so if you're in a situation where you've been told or you're thinking about taking that horse back to the very beginning, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a long time there. It just means you want to progress through these steps to check off the skills before you proceed to the next one so that we don't inadvertently miss something that could cause a problem later on. On that first ride, if I'm reconnecting with a horse or connecting the first time with a horse, remember I talked earlier about you only have one chance to make a first impression. It is the first five or 10 minutes of any ride in which your horse is forming an opinion about you if you've never ridden him before or about you if this is a new day and, he, you know, how's it going to go today with this person? Or how's it going to go, period, with this person? The horse is forming an opinion about you during these golden moments. So I think it's really important that you're aware of that, that you're proactive during this time, that you proactively take charge of the horse, start asking things of him. I want you to go. I want you to turn left. I want you to turn right. I want you to go over here. I want you to go over there. I want you to trot now. I want you to walk now. I want you to make a circle. We start asking things of the horse so that he gets in the frame of mind of complying. Also, during the golden moments, I want to test my horse's obedience. Is he pulling me towards the gate? Is he looking around excessively? Is he cutting the corners? Is he refusing to go when I ask him to go? Or, you know, whatever. What is my horse's level of obedience? What is his level of focus on me? All of these things are really important to suss out in the first few moments of your ride and to, again, say to the horse, these are my expectations of you. Again, I call this the golden moments. I've written about this a lot. I've talked about it a lot. It's in a lot of my videos. She can find out more information. I believe one of the daily doses of horsemanship homework is all about the golden moments on YouTube. So just go to youtube.com slash Julie Goodnight. You'll see right away daily doses of horsemanship homework and look for one that's called golden moments. The final thing that I want to talk to you about in terms of establishing a more productive relationship with your horse has to do with establishing a good work ethic. This is something that we hope the horse learns early in his training. 
when he's a young horse and is most impressionable. There are two ways to think about this right now in terms of uh, reestablishing a connection with the horse is if this horse has had a long layoff or been turned out for the winter or whatever, he's probably lost a significant amount of physical conditioning. One of my strongest objectives as I bring him back into training is to improve his physical conditioning. That's one good reason to put the horse to work. So there's an old saying in horse training that says forward motion is the basis of all training. And without free and willing forward motion, the horse cannot be trained. And so this, to me, speaks to the work ethic of the horse. I like to start all of my riding sessions with my horses, as I've said many times, with a 10-minute long trot. And I like doing this for conditioning reasons. I like to get the aerobic capacity up on the horse, start building some strength in him, what we called legging the horse up. But also you're establishing some important expectations about the horse's work ethic. Do not question me. Do not refuse me. There are going to be times when I ask you to work, but they will always be followed by times that I allow you to rest. And it is only in you putting out this effort now that you will earn the privilege of resting later. I have to be fair to my horse. It's my job as a leader to make sure he has the physical capacity to do that. Certainly, if you had a very weak, out-of-condition horse, he probably couldn't even do a 10-minute trot with a rider on his back but he can probably do a five-minute trot. Whatever his maximum capacity is right now, it's my job to discern that. But I want to push the envelope as much as I can so that he develops a strong work ethic and also that he develops some physical conditioning along the way. So these are the action steps that I think you can take to improve your connection with the horse. As you may have noticed, the things that I'm talking about here, while specific skills are required, in many ways, it's more about the way you approach your relationship with the horse. It's more about reading the horse and understanding, meeting your horse where he is in this moment, regardless of where you thought he should be or where he was the last time you did something with him. It is about establishing expectations, establishing a sense of normalcy with this horse. It is first and foremost about you displaying good leadership to your horse and comporting yourself in such a way that it makes the horse want to connect with you. Like I said in the beginning, there's really not that much that we can force a horse to do because he's so much bigger than we are. However, if you can connect with a horse in such a way that makes him want to do what you're asking to do, man, you've really gotten somewhere. And it is just the most rewarding experience to have with a horse. I hope you found a few morsels of information that will help and a few specific exercises that you might be able to do in order to improve your relationship and start out this riding season on the right foot. And now it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey Q&A. And it's not just my favorite segment because I like saying that, but I do. It's my favorite segment because I love answering your questions and hopefully helping you in a real concrete way 
it's more fun than force feeding you information. I enjoy the questions. I hope you'll keep offering up questions each month. If I don't use them on the podcast, I try to focus a blog post on that or answer something on Facebook. Keep those questions coming. If you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hay, please go to my Facebook page at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Our first question comes from listener Megan, and Megan says, I currently have a barrel horse that doesn't want to enter the arena to race barrels and poles. He spins in circles and backs up away from the arena. When we finally get him in the arena, he races fine. He doesn't do this when we are at home practicing or in a warm-up pen at a competition. I was wondering if you had any tips that could help me out with this problem. Megan, first of all, I will tell you, I've never ridden in a barrel race. Same is true for pole bending. I know that it's a complicated, intricate discipline to train horses for, so I would never begin to tell you what has gone wrong with this horse's training or what you need to do specifically training-wise to fix it. However, I can give you some food for thought. First of all, let's just break down this behavior. Your horse is being what is termed willfully disobedient and refusing blatantly and very loudly refusing what you are asking him to do to go into the competition arena. Now, why he doesn't do this at home or why he doesn't do it in the warm up pen is sort of irrelevant. It's his either fear, anxiety, pain, stress, burnout, whatever you want to call it, whatever the components are, is associated solely with the competition arena. It's very common in barrel horses. It's very common in many disciplines where horses compete at a very intense level, like team roping, show jumping, you name it. There are areas of intense competition with horses where many, many horses reach a state of physical and mental duress that they associate directly with the competition arena. That same arena without a competition going on might not bother the horse. They learn by making associations. Your horse has learned something highly distasteful about the competition arena. Could be pain. Let's just start there. This is not only a mentally stressful discipline is also an extremely physically stressful discipline. So without question, I think that the first thing any trainer would recommend, barrel horse trainer or other, is that you get this horse vetted out thoroughly and address the physical conditioning of the horse. Could be injury, could be hock soreness, could be back soreness, could be chronic injury developing. Who knows? But check it out. That's true of any serious training problem with the horse. We always have to rule out the physical first. You know, when I was young, I'm 60 years old now. When I was young and growing up riding horses, nobody considered that the horse was acting untoward because he was having physical pain. You fast forward to today, we know that that is really the basis of most training problems that we have with riding horses. So first check out that physical. Also, 
I would think about the mental stress the horse is under. He's associating that with competition, not with training at home, not with warming up in a pen. Let me say why maybe it's a physical problem and it doesn't occur in the warm-up pen or at home because you don't ride with the same level of intensity at home or in the warm-up pen that you do when you're in the arena. So sometimes when the horse is first developing a physical injury, it is only at the maximum exertion that he's going to actually feel the pain. Sometimes just strictly because of pain, we get these kinds of uh, bad behavior for, for the association that they've made with the competition arena. So physical pain could possibly be entirely your problem. However, we know this is also very mentally stressing sport as well. It's hard to do anything that's physically stressful with the horse without also mentally stressing him. In speed events where the horse is working at maximum exertion, but only for a short period of time, like in a barrel race or team roping, their horse has, you know, like minutes and hours to build up the anxiety of that quick, brief little thing. In some ways, the lead up to it becomes worse for the horse than the actual doing of it. Now, let's think about why your horse is running fine once he gets in the arena. That's fine and good. But I will tell you this, beyond a shadow of a doubt, in all disciplines of riding horses in competition, the horse that is calm and focused and thinking about the task ahead of him will always outperform the horse that is anxious, nervous, jumping around, fidgety, refusing, has to be led into the arena, has to be backed into the arena, whites of his eyes showing, anxiety pouring out of every pore. That same horse, if we could bring a calm focus back to him, if we could get him in a thinking state of mind, therefore a trainable state of mind, he could perform 10 times better than what he's doing for you now. It is worth your while to address this. Like I said, I'm not a barrel horse trainer, so I can't really tell you what to do. My friend Sharon Camarillo, I think the world of her training, I don't see this kind of behavior in her horses. Uh, I don't think you would. Same thing with the rope horse trainers I know that are excellent at what they do. You won't see this kind of a behavior in these horses. So I know this can be done at the highest levels without causing these kinds of anxiety problems in your horse. I would encourage you to search that out. I'm sure there's lots of great trainers out there that could help you. They may not have to be a barrel horse trainer, just someone that can help you address the anxiety of the horse and retrain the horse because your horse has developed a habitual pattern that he believes he's benefiting from. Even if he doesn't think he's benefiting from, I'm not sure he knows the way not to do this. So I think you need some training help. Rule out physical number one. I want you to think about the stress and the burnout on this horse as a mental health problem not a training problem. And by that, I mean the horse needs to be physically taken care of. He needs to be happier, more comfortable. He needs to go to competitions and not compete. You stand outside the arena and you ask him to lower his head and you pet him and you tell him everything's going to be okay. Teach calm down cues. I've got a lot of information about that on my website at juliegoodnight.com. Do flexing and bending, soft exercises with the horse to help him regain his calmness and his focus and his attention on you. 
So you need some tools for dealing with this. Um, again, check out my website, juliegoodnight.com, and you might search things like stress, anxiety, refusal. It's not unlike the horse that's herd bound that I talked about earlier in this podcast that just throws a walleye bit when you separate them from the herd. So anxiety is anxiety, and it's very prevalent in horses. Also, I would like you to consider cross-training with this horse if all you do is barrels the monotony and stress of that is probably eating away at your horse. Get him out on a trail ride. Gallop him in the open. Dress his conditioning in other activities so that you end up with a better conditioned horse and one that it has a fresher mind. He's not bored. He's not hating what he does. You might even find that he has talent in other areas that you want to explore. I would definitely consider some cross training on this horse. I would consider some vacation time for this horse and maybe starting over in a new way that's less stressful for the horse. Consult a trainer if you can about specific techniques that you might employ training wise. Like I said, on my website, I have information about calm down cues and flexion exercises that help bring a horse back to a focused state of mind. So good luck. I can tell by the way you write the question that you want to do the best for your horse. So I'm sure you will figure it out and good luck. Our next question comes from listener Pete and Pete says, do you have any advice to help with horses who will not cross a water feature? I'm dealing with one now that is really the worst case I've ever come across. He won't even drink out of a stream, let alone cross one. Pete, good question. One that comes up a lot, of course. Interesting that you said water feature. It makes me think that maybe you're doing trail obstacle competitions. I was just curious if you were doing actual man-made obstacles. Are you talking about riding out on the trail and encountering a real natural stream? Or It kind of sounds like it could be one or the other. It doesn't really matter, except that the popularity of the man-made trail obstacle courses these days is really high. And I, I watch a lot of them. I've judged some of them. I've emceed some of them. The obstacles are getting crazier and crazier and crazier all the time. I often think to myself, and I'm watching these things. How much do we really have to ask of a horse? Does he really have to do all of this to be a good trail horse? I would just mention that some water obstacles that are reasonable for a horse to cross, and there are some that are going to frighten him because of many different reasons. So let's be reasonable about what we're asking him to do. Make sure that if it is a natural water crossing, that it is safe, it's not boggy, it's not got steep banks that are slick or holes or whatever, big rolling rocks, deep rapids. Make sure that the horse can be convinced that it is safe. So that's just a general way to think about this. Second thing I would want to do is really break it down. What is the horse actually afraid of? Is he is he afraid of water on his body, splashing on him, touching him, his feet getting wet? Is he afraid of moving water? Is he afraid of mud or boggy areas? By the way, horses are instinctively afraid of that because we do have quicksand and bogs that when a horse gets trapped in them, they can die there. And so horses do have a mortal fear, some horses, of that kind of terrain. 
are these natural water crossings, you know, do they have trees hanging over them? It looks like mountain lions might be there. I recently was on a trail ride in, in a wilderness area of the Rocky Mountains. It was known to be bear country. In fact, the people I was riding with that lived there said they'd had a excessive bear spottings that summer. And the trail was very overgrown, lots of deadfall. That It was just a scary place. And so even really solid, well-trained Trail horses were very skittish about some of the water crossings. You know, if this horse has such an extreme problem crossing water, we want to make sure that as you approach the training, whatever water obstacle you have to train on is the easiest it can possibly be to get this ball rolling. So I would like to break down the smaller things, if I can, of what the horse is actually afraid of, because then I can address them specifically. So is it the touch of water on his splashing on his belly, well, that's easy to fix. Is it he's afraid of mud? Well, we can walk through some mud and get over that. Is it the water moving? Okay, we need to not let him stare down at the water because it's making him dizzy. Is it depth perception? Because horses have notoriously poor depth perception. Oftentimes in water crossings, particularly if they're narrow and steep or irrigation ditches are the worst, they look like they're going to step off a cliff. Sometimes there's a visual problem, whether it's moving water or the configuration of the water feature is challenging the horse's depth perception. So that's something we have to be a little bit more understanding of, give the horse more time, treat it a little bit more like a mental health problem, try to understand the horse's fear, and then build confidence for him in that area. But the other question I would have is how much of this problem you're having with this horse is learned behavior. So there's only two types of behavior, instinctive and learned. And learning begins from the moment a horse is born. Horses are extremely fast learning animals. They have the memory of an elephant. When horses learn the wrong things repeatedly over time, again and again and again, you can't unlearn that. You can't erase it from his memory. I would question you if this horse has been refusing water obstacles of all kinds with a great deal of success over weeks and months, then I started thinking how much of this is strictly learned behavior. He's gotten away with it so much that why would he do something different? Horses with bad trailer loading problems can be the same way. I'll give you a perfect example of what I mean. One of my most interesting episodes of Horse Master, we filmed 260 episodes of the TV series, and I can remember most of them, but this one I remember really, really well. And it was a black mare. Trail obstacle competitions was his thing, and he had taken the horse. Actually, now I can't remember if it was a man or a woman. I do remember the horse really well, <laughs> but he had taken the horse to um, trail obstacle competition. And the, the mare did really well in everything except she would not walk over a tarp. She would not touch it, get anywhere near it. She would vehemently refuse. And when he brought the mare to us to film the episode of the TV show, he had recently returned from a four-day trail obstacle clinic with a renowned trainer, and the entire four days, they never once got the horse to even touch the tarp. So now, 
we've got a training problem that has turned into habitual learned behavior. The horse has gone far beyond thinking about whether or not it should consider crossing the tarp to knowing that she could just refuse, that everything they tried was not going to work. So with every attempt and failure, the behavior of the horse was becoming more ingrained. So when they brought the horse, I remember thinking to myself, holy cow, what am I going to do with this horse? I just, when somebody brings me a horse and they say, I've had several other trainers try to fix this problem and it's never worked. Because I'm not stupid, that makes me nervous. I'm a good trainer, but I'm not any better than many, many good trainers. And when I hear other professional trainers have failed, I think to myself, I'm not sure I can do this either. But what happened at the end of the day was that I just pulled the classic right thing easy and the wrong thing hard. I would ride the horse hard every time she tried to move away from the tarp. I would only let her rest when she was close to the tarp, looking at the tarp or moving towards the tarp. We started filming sometime in the afternoon and I remember the sun had set before I finished. I remember thinking it's going to be dark and I'm still going to be out here doing this. And all I would do was ask her to approach the tarp and she would, you know, at some point start flying backwards and wheeling around. As soon as she made any backward movement at all, I would just abruptly kick her up into a hard trot or lope, and I would trot or lope her very hard in a circle for five, ten minutes until she was really huffing and puffing and really needed a rest. And then I would only let her rest when she was moving towards the tarp, closer to the tarp, or eventually touching the tarp. It took, I don't remember, in the episode, it actually shows the elapsed time. I want to say it was about an hour and a half. She finally, like a light switch flips, she made up her mind and she put her head down, looked at that tarp and walked across it like she had done it a thousand times with her head down, flat-footed walk. I walked her up to it several more times. She put her head down, walked straight over it. It was great. We put her away for the night with lots of praise and rewards and got her out the next morning. She walked right over that tarp. She was in a hurry to walk over that tarp the next day. And then we put the owner up and the owner had success in a different location. We moved the tarp to a different arena because you can move the horse to a new location or put a new rider up on the horse and things can revert quickly. But that was a case of learned behavior. And that was a case of the classic, make the right thing easy and the wrong thing hard and just wait the horse out, wait for the horse to make the, the decision. It is always going to be a superior result when you allow the horse to make the decision to comply. It's just that a lot of us don't want to wait that long. And escalating the pressure in that situation is probably not going to go well. Trying something harder and harder and harder, uh, more and more and more pressure. Find something that's hard enough and then wait it out. Let the horse make the decision. You know, there are so many variables involved with crossing water that it's difficult for me to give you real specifics on what to do age of the horse, the training level of the horse, the kind of reactions I'm getting from the horse, the environment I'm in, the, the situation of the water crossing, all of those things would factor into what I would actually do as a trainer. And I don't always know before I get on a horse what I am going to do. I have to feel that horse out. There are many, many times, that this happened all the time in the filming of Horse Master, 
where I watch a horse, I could see the problem, but I don't necessarily know how to fix it. Sometimes I don't even know for sure what's causing the problem until I get on the horse and ride it and feel it out. And it just comes to me in that moment what the horse needs. So it's not always a cut and dry, you always do this and never do that. It is feeling out the horse, trying to process his reactions, experimenting a little bit with this, a little bit with that until I get the horse moving in the right direction. But in this process, if it involved water crossing, I might get a big solid pony horse and a big heavy duty rope halter, long lead rope. If I have a good flat, wide water crossing area for training, I could pony that horse into the water. Once I got him in there, I would turn right or left and walk up and down the creek instead of cross the creek. And I might spend 20, 30 minutes walking up and down that creek bed with water splashing on his belly, him getting used to rocks slipping underneath them or the mud, whatever your situation is. That would just, in a manner, be desensitizing the horse to water. I would do that before I would try to ride him in the water. Make sure you pick your spot wisely so it's safe for the horse. It's going to be easy for training. Nobody's going to get run into a tree or get caught in a bog or slip and fall down in the swift water. Make sure it's wide open, not closed in, so the horse doesn't have that claustrophobic feeling. If I'm riding the approach, or actually if I'm ponying, I'm going to work really hard to control the nose of the horse to teach him that going right and left is not an option here. Going backwards is not an option here. I'm not going to force you forward in this moment, but I will tell you right, left, and back are not options. And then I might give the horse time to decide to cross it. So this is very similar to my de-spooking program. And the basis of it is ruling out flight and then encouraging investigation and forward orientation for the horse. So check that out on my website and read about de-spooking or watch some of the videos and that might help you. One more little trick I always try to employ if I can is pick a water crossing where the horse, it's in a direction the horse wants to go. Sometimes if you can set it up to where he's crossing the water to go back to the barn or back to the herd or back to the trailer or whatever, if he knows he's going home, he's going to be much more highly motivated to cross that creek than riding away from home. So consider that. Always set the horse up for success. And it may well be that you you are dealing now with compounded learned behavior, so you're going to have to address that on a different level, on a training level, and hopefully you can make some progress there. So check out the de-spooking techniques on my website. I think that'll help you a lot. Our final question today comes from Claire. And Claire was kind enough to submit two questions, but I only have time for one today, so we'll Add your second question to the next month's pile. Question number one, Claire says, My horse Perry is a seven-year-old, 14-3-hand foundation quarter horse who has been with me for about seven months. He goes around beautifully at the walk and trot, but when I ask him to canter, he lunges forward and leans in so hard in the corners and then will break to the trot any chance he gets. If he does break to the trot and I ask him to get back into the canter, I will often get a buck from him. I'm not sure what's wrong. It happens in both my jump and dressage saddles, 
and on the lunch line. He gets monthly chiropractic body work and acupuncture. I was hoping it was just a strength issue and that when he built up strength in his hind end, this would stop, but so far it hasn't improved very much. Claire, I doubt that's a strength issue, and to be honest, I doubt it's a pain issue. Not to say that it couldn't be. It just sounds like a green horse to me. All horses, when they're first trained under saddle, go too fast, lean into the corners, cut the corners, lean into the middle, drop their shoulder. That's just how horses move. Horses naturally turn by dropping their shoulder and wheeling around. Arcing circles and turns and corners is something that we teach the horse through training. You don't look out in a field of horses and see them doing bending circles. It's actually a normal reaction of the green horse. And through training, we give that horse balance. We explain to him that, no, we don't want you to drop the shoulder. We want you to keep the shoulder lifted and bend in your body, but move up into the corners. This takes time. It takes days, hours and hours and weeks and months of cantering until the horse develops the coordination of a slow, coordinated, smooth canter. That's also not natural to the horse. You don't see collected canter out in the pasture. They drop their shoulder, wheel around, and go hell-bent for leather until they get where they want to go. That's normal for a horse. The canter is a slow, collected gallop that we train the horse to do. It may well be that your horse is just simply so green at the canter, he hasn't learned all that yet. You may need to enlist the help of a trainer or even just an experienced rider that can put a lot of miles on the horse at the canter in the arena so that the horse develops himself, his coordination. And you could think of that as strength, but really it's just the coordination and learning that he can move slowly and in a different way and move differently in turns. We work on a lot of that at the trot in bending and arcing and stuff so that you have some tools to employ when you get to the canter and he does this. It's also quite possible that your horse is perfectly well-trained and this is all rider error. In fact, you don't say anything about the horse's training, so I'm left in the dark here as to whether or not he's well-trained or experienced or very, very green. If he's just very, very green, then I think I've already answered your question. However, what makes me think that it's possible this is the rider is because when I think about the bucking that you're getting, and you know, sometimes horses buck when they just don't want a canter. They're lazy and they don't want a canter, especially with a rider on their back. They're cutting corners for the same reason. With novice riders, I see every day in every clinic I teach, riders that are learning skills at the canter, first of all, they often lean into the turn. That causes the horse to drop his shoulder even more. Second of all, they may be pulling down on the rein instead of opening the rein to the side. That causes the horse to drop his shoulder even more. So you get to the turn. If you use the direct rein and you start pulling down, which is wrong, and back, which is the direct rein, that actually impedes the horse's forward motion and causes him to break gait. And so When we're teaching people to canter, green riders that are learning to canter for the first time, I always want to set them up on a straightaway. I want to help do what I can do with their arena setup and the other horses to make it easy to get the horse into the canter. But I just want the rider to ride the straight long side of the arena. And I want the rider to actively bring the horse back to a trot before he gets to the corner. Because I know what's going to happen if he doesn't is the rider is going to pull down and back on the rein. That's going to cause the horse to break gait, lose balance, 
And then the whole turn is going to be a huge mess. And then after the horse has done that two or three times, you've trained a pattern into the horse where he breaks gait and goes into a messy trot on every turn. The hard part for riders to learn at this stage while they're still learning how to ride the canter and stay balanced on the horse at the canter is to not pull back on the rein, on the turning rein, when you go to make a turn. As soon as you pull back on that rein, it encourages the horse to break into a trot. So then if you kick that horse up to the canter like he did something wrong, that will piss him off and he might buck. And what it's possible, I can't say without watching, I'd know instantaneously by watching you. So now I'm just guessing based on my experience of what I see all the time in clinics. If you give a conflicting signal to the horse that makes him think he not only was allowed to trot, but he was supposed to trot, and then you criticize him for it, that understandably builds up some resentment for him. You'll see head shaking, you'll see tail swishing, and you might see some crow hopping. Then you have an added problem where if this bucking is starting to make you nervous, understandable, then the horse is probably knowing that too. He's probably understanding that too. And so if he has any reason to believe his bucking will make you stop asking him to canter, it will develop into an even bigger problem. So what we need to do is think about, you know, all of those things that I just mentioned. The bucking could be just simply your horse's refusal to canter. He's trying to say to you, I'm refusing. What are you going to do about it? Could be, you know, it always could be pain, but it this sounds more like a training problem to me. So I want to check and make sure the rider is not giving conflicting signals. You're not pulling back around the turn. If he's a green horse, he just needs to have lots and lots of cantering and circling and turning until he finds balance with a rider. Without any information on how well the horse is trained, I'm just guessing here. I think maybe consult a riding instructor first. See if you can determine how much the rider is complicit in this problem. And then you may need to get a more experienced rider or a trainer to just simply ride this horse through. You know, one thing I do with a green horse, if he drops his shoulder and leans into the turn, just make him go faster. Instead of pulling back or trying to, you know, micromanage what he's doing, just drive him forward until he lifts himself up and moves right. And I would only stop him when he had lifted his shoulders and was moving straight. If I have a horse that's crow hopping, resistant, bucky at the counter, and I've ruled out a physical problem, then I've got to put him up into the counter and, and just keep gently driving him forward until I feel him relax in his back. If I stop him while he's threatening to buck, I've reinforced the buck. If I only stop him when his back is relaxed, his head is down, his shoulders are up, and he's compliant, that's the way he will be the next time I ask him to be canter. However that horse is acting at the moment you release the pressure is what you've just trained him to do. Examine all of that and hopefully you'll find a solution. But as with most things with horses, there aren't really a lot of quick fixes. So gaining skill in the horse, gaining skill in the rider, these things take time and professional help from the right trainer could really help. Good luck, Claire. Thank you for joining me today. 
No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your higher level competition skills, I hope you found some helpful information to make your horse life better. Next month on my podcast, I'll tackle another horse training topic that you've been asking for. So please join me. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. I do love sharing my horse care and training experience with you. And I appreciate all your feedback, suggestions, questions, and comments. I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most. So if you have questions for what the hay or a podcast topic you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email me at podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Thanks again for your awesome comments and for the five-star ratings too. It helps me out a lot and it helps us rise in the rankings so more horse lovers like you and me can find this podcast. Don't forget to check out my online membership programs. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. You can subscribe to my full training library with hundreds of videos, audios, and articles, all searchable content, or enroll in a horsemanship short course to tackle specific issues like building confidence or join at the premier level, the Interactive Academy, where you receive a 12-month training curriculum and personalized coaching from me. Just go to signin.juliegoodnight.com and start your ride there. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening, and please stay safe and enjoy the ride. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride.